0: i'm really excited about this podcast with dark hurts it's a beautiful conversation about a long term loss of a mother and a grandmother but also putting grief off facing it when you're ready and the tools that we use to grieve thank you so much for being here this grief is my side hustle Welcome to Grief is My Side Hustle, the podcast. I am delighted today to be talking with my friend, Dara Kurtz. She's a mother, a podcaster, speaker, author, breast cancer survivor, and has written a beautiful book called I Am My Mother's Daughter, Wisdom on Life, Loss, and Love. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Oh, it's such a joy to spend time with you. Thanks for having me.
0: Of course, of course. So we have developed a friendship by being in sort of the same rooms around grief and loss. Your book is one of the ones that I picked up early. Not only is it just a gorgeous story, and it's one of those that I feel like you could hand someone relatively early in loss because it's not heavy and it's just a beautiful personal story of being a mother's daughter and Mm -hmm. having a surprise connection. So tell people about your book, which is not the only way that you contribute to the world. And certainly your contributions are not limited to only talking about grief and loss. You're out there in a lot of speaking engagements and podcasts talking about being a mom and being a wife and an entrepreneur. I would encourage people to go to your website and see what's there and and all the links because I feel like you could talk on anything. And I'm really grateful that you're here to talk on Grief as My Side Hustle about your book. So oh, thank tell us you. about it. Tell us about the story for those folks who are not familiar with you yet.
1: Well, I appreciate you saying those sweet things. Thank you. So my mom passed away a few weeks after I had my first daughter, really the same weekend. I found out I was pregnant. We found out that she had stage four cancer and, Really, the bigger my belly got, the sicker my mom got. And like I said, she passed away a few weeks after I had my first daughter, her first grandchild. It was a devastating time for me. I found myself being so thrilled to be a new mom and absolutely devastated having lost my mom. And I didn't really know how to navigate those waters. I had really no friends who had lost their moms or even had lost a parent and I found myself just feeling really alone. And, you know, life kind of was busy trying to figure it all out. And life just sort of kind of went on. I went back to work at the time I was a financial advisor. And then we were blessed to have another child. But grief, I say always followed me around like my my shadow, because it was always there and could bubble up at just the slightest thing happening, the slightest remark, just a memory, just any type of trigger and it could just all sort of come out. I did my best to sort of suppress it. I did my best to be the happy mom. And I put that in quotes, the happy mom that I Mm -hmm. felt like my kids deserved. And so it's just time went by. And then 20 years after my mom passed away, I found a bag of letters in my home that had been sort of stashed at the back of a drawer. And it was a Ziploc bag containing over a hundred letters that were written to me the first time I went to sleepaway camp at age nine until I graduated from college. And most were written by my mom and then my two grandmothers. They lived, I had them after my mom passed away. So I was blessed to have my grandmothers in my life after my mom passed away. And so these really were the three strong women who had been there for me my whole life. And so finding this bag was just unbelievable, but I didn't have the courage to open it right when I found it, because I was really afraid that it would trigger a lot of the grief and sadness. So I remember looking at it, stuffing it back in the drawer, but then time went by. And one night I just thought, you know what, I want to open this bag. I want to hear from my mom and my grandmothers. And What happened next really changed my life. I'm not being dramatic when I say that, like it actually really changed my life because I sat on the couch and I read the words from my mom and my grandmothers. I felt like I was having a conversation with them. I could, I could hear their voices. I could feel their personality and I got a much needed dose of their timeless wisdom, but also I saw how much they valued life and how they never would have wanted me to let their deaths get in the way of any type of joy that I could create for myself. And so it really helped me sort of make peace with their death. And I was never planning on writing this book, but I just, really felt like there was something there. I just started writing a few weeks later and, you know, I'm so proud to have I Am My Mother's Daughter. And it was just such a joyful experience for myself. And I love that people feel like it's really helping them kind of navigate through their, their own losses.
0: One of the things I talk about on podcasts and in other places is the neuroscience, bioscience around what writing does in terms of helping us from grief theory to create a narrative that we can manage. So one of the things I don't do on the podcast is I don't have people who are in fresh grief come on the podcast. What you and I know is whether you're suppressing it or not, you're pretty dysregulated and you don't actually always know that you're dysregulated. So it's Mm -hmm. like you're, you know, you're trying to map the country at the same time that you're traveling across it and you don't have a lot of perspective. It's not that I don't want to talk to people who are in fresh grief. I do that a lot in my therapy work, but part of what you're describing is the process that kind of gets us from here to there. And it's so important to be able to have a manageable narrative and for people who their loss includes someone was murdered or they killed themselves or they ran away from home and and there's large periods of time that we don't know where they were. It's Mm -hmm. very, there's a lot of anguish around that sort of ambiguity of not knowing, right? Yeah. And so being able to sort of manage a narrative, it's something that we have to be able to do no matter what it might look like and no matter what it might be. We have to find some language that allows us to be able to tell the story of our loss. What's so fascinating to me is that after a period of time, it's not that your grief isn't fresh, but it's not as fresh. And you're busy, busy, busy because you have a brand new baby and a business and a, you know all that stuff. You are brought into another piece of the narrative. And there's, there's another theory about grief, which is called continuing bonds. And I always ask people about this, not as a grief therapist, but more as a person, because you know, my dad has been dead almost four years. My mom will have been dead too. The continuing bonds idea is that you take your living experience with the person and you turn that into a memory experience. And for some people that might mean that they're sitting in a room, having a conversation with their mother in their mind. And they may believe that they're in heaven or that but they are, they are still having a relationship with the memory of the person. And what's fascinating is you get all this actual information, new slash old, you know, communication from the other side in this way. Yeah. Was that only good did it trigger? Did it, was it hard? Were there pieces in there that you didn't remember? Were there apology notes for fights that you were in? That's a wild experience that most people in the world of grief don't have. They don't come across a treasure trove where they can then reconnect in a living way to their loved one.
1: So I got to know my mom a lot better from my adult perspective, when I was reading those letters, because when she wrote me those letters, she was raising her kids. She -hmm. was raising me and she was raising my brother. And like I said, she wrote them when I was started, when I was nine. And so I never got to have a lot of those talks with my mom. Once I had my child, once I had my first daughter, Zoe, because she was so sick and then she passed away right after that. And so there were so many things that I never got to share with my mom about being a mom and raising a child and just, you know, all those things that you really want to share with your mom when you have a baby. And so it was such a gift to be able to sort of get to know her better Mm -hmm. from her in the space of raising her family. And that was just really interesting to me. Also, like I really did struggle with ways to bring her into my life, our lives with my kids, because I really wanted my kids to know my mom. I I really wanted them to know more than just like a picture. And that was something that was really, really just hard for me, devastating for me as my daughters grew. And so I really looked for ways that they could connect with her. And one of the ways we did that was my mom loved ice cream Sundays. Every year on the anniversary of her death and on her birthday, we would have hot fudge Sundays. And that sort of became a beautiful tradition, but also sort of a way to bring my mom into our lives. I looked for lots of different ways to do that. As my daughters grew, it was such a gift to be able to get glimpses into the younger versions of my mom and my grandmothers. When at the time they wrote those letters, you know, I was nine years old, and then I was gradually growing, but I wasn't necessarily paying attention to a lot of the things that they said at that time, just because I I was, I was a child, right? I was a teenager. I was I was kind of in a different place. And so such a gift.
0: I feel like this is something that is true about grief in general is that like, if you lose your dad, when you're 11, you're not necessarily thinking, oh, he's not going to be there to walk me down the aisle. But when you get to your wedding, your dad is not there. And so it's not like you grieved him. For not being there when you were eleven, you have a new developmental grief, a new moment in time where you feel the absence of your dad.
1: Yeah, I, I think I think the hardest thing for me, truthfully, like when I had Zoe, and I remember my mom holding Zoe, and everyone kept saying like, "Oh, I'm so glad your mom lived to see your baby," blah blah blah. But honestly, like for me, that was so devastating because it was almost like I felt like she was holding Zoe, but she was never going to be part of Zoe's life. And I remember her saying like, oh, you're going to have the best life. I remember her holding Zoe and saying that like, oh, this beautiful baby, you're going to have such a beautiful life. And then I remember thinking to myself, yeah, but she's not going to have you. And it was just heart-wrenching. I felt that loss, the loss of all of the things that we had always hoped to do, you know, the unrealized dreams, the unrealized picture in our head of the way, my, my mom's engagement and involvement in my grown up adult life was supposed to be. That was just that, that loss was just so devastating for yeah, me. It, it's both sides, right? Because yeah, it is.
0: You miss it for your mom. Like your mom does exactly. Yeah. Life. And you miss it for your kids it's yeah. besides, and you miss it for yourself. You want yeah. your mom, you want your kid to have your mom and you want your mom to have gotten to do it
1: truthfully, that's it. If I had to say what was the hardest part about all of it, well, it was, you know, it, it was all just so hard. but but that, to me was just so hard to, to make peace with. And it it really wasn't until I had this experience with the, the Ziploc bag of letters. And it was literally 20 years after her death when finally, I was like, okay, I am ready to let go of the sadness and the pain and I I really finally hearing their words and getting a glimpse into kind of what they valued. I really realized they would never have wanted me to be stuck in grief. And I put that in quotes, but because I really was stuck in grief for a long time and I didn't see it until I sat down and wrote this book.
0: You know, it's interesting that you talk about that concept, second grief, why is that person stuck in grief or what is complicated grief? And I don't love to go into all the semantics of that. Cause I feel like some of that, it's just, if it makes you feel bad, get rid of the word. If it helps you yeah. keep it. Yeah. But, but I really do understand what you're talking about. And I had a therapist point this out to me when I was sort of coming back to life after primarily grieving my dad, I had spent a lot of time with my dad in the hospital when he was dying. And I had just had a lot of that in my head. Mm-hmm. A lot of the images of him, he had been this really big, robust man, and he was kind of immobile before he died. And so he spent a lot of time, like his body was shrinking and he, you know, he just looked well and well. And a therapist sort of pointed out to me, you know, your mind is only letting you go to the images of pain your mind is really and and my ptsd and that stuff is really image based but she was like he was 80 years old he spent one year dying and he spent you know 78 other years on the planet like can we imagine him as a person can you remember him so first we did some memory what was he like on this kind of a day what would he do and i actively kind of had to pull him back into my memory as an alive dynamic and not, I mean, I wasn't romanticizing him. Like sometimes he would yell and sometimes he was difficult, but it was a live dynamic person. And then I was able to do that thing that continuing bonds asked us to do, which is like, imagine him in this scenario. I still see things with my mom and dad. I was talking on a podcast earlier today with an author, Jessica Dulong, who wrote a book called Saved by the Seawall. And it's about the boat rescues on 9-11, which I hadn't known anything about. I didn't know that there were all these boats in the harbor in Manhattan that rescued 500,000 people. My mother would have died to read that book. She would have died to have known about that story. My dad would have loved that story. So I can imagine a conversation now that I would have had with them about discovering this book, discovering that I knew the author, interviewing them for the podcast. It would have been hours of delightful conversation with my parents that I don't actually really need them here for to know what that conversation would have been. But there was a period of time where I wouldn't have even been able to think about that because there was this hard stop in only the pain of them. I I could really only focus. And and the way I describe it is like, I can't see past my own hands.
1: Mm -hmm. I totally get that. Yeah. Where
0: where I just couldn't think of them as present day or what they would do in this moment, because I was not done feeling the loss of them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I have been very intentional with like exercise and meditation. And I do not mean to make myself sound like a saint, I mean, intentional and also failing at mm. exercise and meditation, writing, a lot of talking therapy in order to get from here to there. Other than the writing for you, because again, you had such little, little ones running at your feet. What else has been significant and important in terms of the way I describe it as grieving as an action, grieving as a
1: verb? Yeah. So I To be completely honest and transparent, which you know me, I'm always honest and very transparent. I didn't do a lot of active grieving right when I had my daughter, Zoe, I threw myself back into work and then I had another child. Like there was no active grieving going on around here. You know, I think what it was, was actively trying to not grieve was probably what I was doing. I don't know the term for that, but I mean, suppression, grief, suppression, was what was happening around here, because it was painful to think about. And I, and I don't judge myself for the way I handled it at the time I did the best that I could, but I spent a lot of time not giving myself permission to actively grieve, like you're saying. So so when you don't give yourself permission to do that, and you don't do the work, then time just sort of goes by and you sort of get used to living a certain way and I think that's really what happened. I just do want to say that 7 years ago I went through breast cancer. And mm-hmm. so after and I'm so lucky and so blessed and all the things, but it was a really hard time for me and for my family. And after that experience I started doing a a lot of work on myself. And I do feel like, you know, I did sort of start opening the door to being more intentional about letting myself actively grieve and even figuring out what that even meant but i'm really focusing on a lot of self-care and and so i'm not the same person that i am today i'm not the same person when i found this bag of letters compared to who i was i'm a much more joyful happy you know joy seeker kind of person after having gone through that experience 7 years ago and so and we can talk about a lot of the self-care things that I do if you want to go there, but I, I feel like that was really, I was in a space where after I found these letters, I, I was already so much further, further along than I had been before I went through breast cancer, because that was a huge trigger for me. Yeah. My mom had skin cancer. She had a form of melanoma and that's what she passed away from. There was nothing more devastating for me Then when I was 42, hearing the words, you have cancer, because it took me right back to that little 28 year old girl who heard her mom had cancer and all of the thoughts and all of the feelings that i had experienced and really hadn't worked through i remember just being on the table and this amazing doctor was doing the biopsy and he was saying dara you know you really have to prepare yourself this is breast cancer and i was just sobbing saying like this can't be cancer this can't be happening to me and my family because i know what it feels like to be a daughter in the world without her mom and that cannot happen to my daughters and it was just heart-wrenching and devastating for me.
0: I'm glad you circled back because those were my next questions. Like, what is it like to be without your mom when you're in that scary place? And also to to have a form of the same kind of illness that took her from you. I think as parents, what we're always trying to do for better or for worse is protect our children as much as possible. And I think the most helpless that we ever feel is when we can't protect them from something that is ours, that is going to impact them, right? It's blindingly devastating. The treatment facility that I worked at in Tennessee has a motto to it, which is trust the process. And I think part of what part of what they're you know, doing is marking also that life doesn't always make sense and that we have to live it. But I think also the unfolding of coming to understand and know things when our system is ready for it. Right. It's impossible to sit down and have all of the feelings when you are breastfeeding a baby or are up all night with a toddler. Our bodies, our systems have their own ways in which they're going to try to help us navigate. And I think we think of suppression as this like, oh, suppressed feelings, but actually, dissociation suppression. Those are amazing tools. Yeah. And, right. it,
1: and it, cope, and it was a coping mechanism for sure. Absolutely. That's what I mean. Thank God for that. I mean, there are certain yeah,
0: traumas that people, for sure. they would never survive if we didn't have that way of putting a barrier between us mm. and them. Yeah. And while we would never say that we're happy about breast cancer, the process of having to face mortality. And now you're the mother, not just the daughter that cracks open Mm. the, the starting to think about your feelings, right? There
1: there was a lot cracked open at that time. (laughs) It was, it it was, it was almost like too cracked open all at once. But yes, your point is very valid that had I not, gone through that, I wouldn't have, honestly, I wouldn't be the happy individual that I am today. And for that, I am so grateful and will always be grateful because of that experience. Mm -hmm. It was one of the hardest times of my life for sure. But, you know, hard times we go through things and we, we learn and we grow and getting to the other side of that. I mean, that's been such a joyful blessing for me. And that's why I try to use my experiences to help other people Mm -hmm. because I feel like 20 years ago, when my mom passed away, we weren't out there talking about these types of things. Mm -hmm. There were no platforms like this. And so I, I felt so alone and talking about it would have definitely been such a game changer for me. And also being able to connect with other people who knew how I was feeling would have been huge instead of going to birthday parties and seeing my my friends there with their moms and just feeling like, oh, why did this happen to me? Why am I by myself? Why did, did this happen to my family? When the reality of it is this happens every day to so many families. And, you know, if we all, if we're willing to be vulnerable and be open about how we felt, we can really help other people navigate their own challenges.
0: One of the strengths of your story, I think you are like totally happy. Joyful. You're in projects. You're super excited about what's going on for your family. And I don't mean you're happy every single moment of the day, but if we were going to write down a bunch of descriptor words, some adjectives, happy would be up there. I think when people are back, way back the yards behind you, it's hard to believe that that will ever exist again. In trauma therapy, people are saying things like, I don't think I will ever love anyone again. I don't think I will ever recover from this. And that's also what people are saying to them. Like, oh my God, I don't know how you could get through it. I never could. And yet one of the things that I say to people all the time is I know everyone feels that way. And then everyone does.
1: I love that you said that. Yeah. Because it's so true. You know, when you're going through it, you feel like I'm never going to get out of this space because your, 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 your vision just is so shallow and so stuck in that space, you just can't ever even imagine climbing out of that hole because it's just so encompassing. But that's such a beautiful message to give to people who are listening to this, that you are going to be okay and you will get through this and you can be happy again. Right. And so
0: I wrote a piece up on my blog a long time ago that went all over the place because people related to it, which was like, you know, there's this tent that we live in that is Our feelings tent. That's how we generally are. And I would also say, you know, for a very long time, maybe not in my adolescence, but since my early adulthood onward, I feel like I've won the lottery in life. Like so many good things, so many things I haven't deserved. I'm really, really grateful all the time. I don't need Oprah to remind me to do it. And I really think the concept of explaining to people that what's happening when you are grieving is you are having a series of strong emotions which are like bugs flying in and out of the tent. And yeah, they are going to rattle the experience. If you have six bees in a tent that you're trying to take a nap in, it's going to impact how you're doing in there, but the bees are not going to stay in there forever. And so when I'm doing grief work with people, I'm often saying to them, and there's some neuroscience behind this, don't make any decisions that are further than three hours out. So, if somebody's offered to take you to lunch and it's nine o'clock in the morning and you feel like right now you could go, say yes. You are welcome to abort that mission at any time. Mm. But if they're asking you to go for dinner, ask them to call you this afternoon. Because what happens in grief, which people are not used to, is that you cycle with your feelings much more dramatically. It's like sort of being tossed in waves, and it makes people feel crazy. There's some things that are going on in your brain that are also causing that to happen, but to be able to point and say, listen, let me, let me hand you this book about this woman. She lost her mother just days after her baby's born. She, you know, has breast cancer without her mom, And like her description, her story about herself is one of gratitude. Mm-hmm, have to, yeah. A lot of the books that I threw across the room, after my dad died I threw across the room because I was like fuck you for having a good experience, finding meaning, being able to believe that your mother's in heaven, whatever. I'm not there yet. Yeah. But I didn't yeah. throw the books away, did I? I just threw them across the room. I I took in the message that there's a progression to this. So you mentioned a second ago that you did have some self-care stuff, some things that you think of as helping you with the grief. I really like to tell people because the question I'm asked the most often when it comes to grief in my office is other than crying, what does it mean to grieve? Which I think is a brilliant question. And so I'm really trying to, every time I have a platform, try to answer it. One of the things I put up on my Instagram yesterday I'm with my sisters right now. And I have laughed so hard. I mean, partly because we're making fun of my parents and stories, partly because I'm with people who've known me since I was born, but I have laughed so hard. And I just forgot sometimes grief is really funny that it's like borderline hysterical. And we've been grieving all this time that we're here selling my mom and dad's house. But I was like, oh yeah, I just want to remind folks that grief is funny. And of course I've had probably, you know, tens of messages just this morning, like, oh yeah. Grief is really funny. So tell me a little bit about what your process has been.
1: So... After I went through breast cancer seven years ago, that's when I really zoned in on creating a daily self-care practice for me. Some of the things that I still do today, I'll do for the rest of my life for sure. And that is meditation. I'm such a big believer in meditation. I don't care if it's five minutes or 20 or 30, you know, just Putting it in the day, ideally in the morning, is just for me it's such a great way to ground myself. I exercise almost every single day, whether that's walking in nature, which I've discovered that I actually love being in nature and I love walking in nature. So for me, I used to exercise all the time, but it was like P90X or on the treadmill. Yeah. You couldn't pay me to do that anymore. I mean, I can't even, I don't even know the last time I was on my treadmill. I definitely, for me feel like exercise is just such an important way for me to release any kind of anxiety or, you know, any type of emotion that I'm feeling, just taking it out, going for a walk in nature nature's just a game changer. I also lift weights and I practice kundalini yoga, which is a form of yoga, but it's really kind of all about energy and moving energy. And so That's been a game changer for me. I also write in a journal really almost every day. I just try to sort of connect to my thoughts. I have like a a positive affirmations that I practice. I have a daily mantra that I'm always using. And I change that just depending upon the season that I'm in or whatever I'm sort of focusing on, but I always have those kind of tools. I try to read inspiring a little bit of inspiring things. I'm I'm always reading like five or six books at once, kind of depending upon the mood that I'm in. I'll just, you know, try to have like 15 minutes of just inspiring reading. And I love reading the beach reads, but I'm talking about like inspiring growth kinds of thought-provoking reading. I think it's really important to be careful who you surround yourself with. And there's nothing that's more important to me than the relationships that I have with the people that I love. And, and that is, you know, my daughters, my husband, my family, my friends, but also every once in a while, I think it's important to sort of do a check-in with that and make sure that people that you're surrounding yourself with and you're spending your time with, you, you have aligned goals or that that everyone doesn't have to have the same opinions on things, but I want to be around joyful, happy people, because that is definitely going to impact me. And so that's a form of self-care to sort of paying attention to who you're hanging with. Mm -hmm. Those are sort of my favorite ones. But I mean, of course the whole Epsom salts bath thing at night Mm -hmm. and, you know, having quiet time alone, being intentional about writing in my journal or thinking on my walk about something that might be painful. So when we talk about like intentional act of grieving, I would say in meditation, you know, thinking about something that might be a trigger, but also thinking about it and literally sitting in it. And, th- and then giving myself permission to even release some of it and doing that on a walk or when I'm writing in my journal, you know, there were a lot of things when my mom passed away that I felt guilty about. And I held on to that for a long time. And for me, active grieving has been thinking about some of those things on purpose, actually saying, okay, I want to think about why I'm feeling guilty about this or what, what a particular guilt memory could be thinking about it. And then literally giving myself permission to release it. And that's been a game changer for me.
0: The last thing that you said is super critical i think because it is standard i have yet to meet a person even if they say to me i have no guilt or no regrets i don't know that i believe them i think guilt yeah. and regret is a i think those things when they come into our system when our mind thinks of them there are these little like tap dancers that are trying to distract us from the fact that we feel kind of helpless right as humans we don't do well with helpless and and maybe that's good cuz you know we've cured viruses and that kind of stuff with the motivation and the hustle, but there are some things in real life that we, you know, we don't control. And one of the things that makes people uncomfortable is this notion that I do hold myself. I have some regret about my own behavior.
1: Yeah. Up yeah. And
0: my mom died. And I feel mm-hmm. like people who speak the native Portuguese of grief are like, yeah, I get it. I mean, I don't have to say more than that. People who have yet to have a real traumatic loss immediately come in and say, oh my God, you shouldn't feel that way. Don't feel that way. I was literally just talking about this last night. I always say, I'm okay. It's okay for me to feel this way. I actually think there's a possibility. I don't know because I haven't lived my life all the way through. I don't know if I'll still feel this way when I die, but I do have very painful thoughts and feelings about my behavior that are guilt and remorse around my mom dying that I have to carry. And yeah. just like yeah. you just said, it's like having something sticky in my handbag. Mm. If I put my hand on it, I feel it. And every once in a while I have to be like, I got to go figure out what that is. And so I do just what you're saying, which is I face it. I literally sit with it. and I'm like, okay, all of the thoughts, what are they like? What are the words? What are the moments that I feel them? And I just, put them down in my lap. And I'm like, yep, I see you. I see you. I see you. And I wish that I could tell you that then I leave them when the grass around me, they, they go right back in my handbag, at least for now. And it's not because I haven't done enough work and it's not because I, you know, don't have a spiritual practice. It may be because I'm not there. I also think, I mean, I talk to people about grief all day long. I also think these might be mine to carry.
1: Yeah. So for a long time, I did not want to sit with the guilty thoughts. I didn't want to sit with the things that I should have done that I could have done, blah, 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 because it made me feel uncomfortable and it made me feel bad. And it was hard for me to resolve them because my mom wasn't here to resolve them. And so I didn't know what to do with that. And so I just sort of tried to push it away. But what I have learned and what I've realized is that giving myself the space to say, okay, I'm actively going to think about this particular conversation and I'm going to feel all the feels associated with that conversation. It does help for me. It really has helped release a lot of it. And, And I also recognize that, you know, I did the best that I could at the time and one conversation or a few conversations or the way we handled a few situations does not define a relationship. And, you know, I was a great daughter, my mom and I couldn't have been any closer. And so I know that she would never want me to be laser focused on a few conversations or a few actions that I feel guilty about. I mean, it's just wasted energy for me, but I didn't realize that until I sat with it intentionally it's uncomfortable right it doesn't feel good to not feel good but that's how you really get through it and then maybe the next time i have the thought and it pops into my head about the same conversation and then i sit with it again and i release it again maybe it gets a little bit easier and maybe the more time that goes by it doesn't pop up as much or if i sit with it i don't have to sit with it as long because i'm working through it and so I feel like for me, there are a lot of things that I have felt guilty about that really don't trigger me anymore because you know what, at the end of the day, I did the best that I could. I give myself, you know, I give myself a break.
0: I love this piece of the conversation and you are always so frank, which I'm so grateful for. I think part of what is true about regret, I had a client years ago and his daughter had a terrible substance abuse problem and it ultimately overdosed And he had terrible, terrible, terrible regret and blame. And as you can only imagine, any parent would. And what he really experienced was, and I appreciate this differently now, having lost my mom, people saying, oh, you can't focus on that. It's not your fault. There's nothing you could have done. She had an illness and they meant it in a loving way. But what he experienced was being minimized. Mm That that was a part of his pain, right? A part of his pain was that he had to blame himself. And I really, I think about him a lot because I appreciate it differently because one of the very first thoughts when my mom died for me was that it was my fault. I remember hours later in the day, seeing an incredibly dear friend of mine. And I said to her, you have to let me say this out loud. Mm -hmm. No one will let me say this out loud. Please just let me say it. And so I said, I think it's my fault. And she took this deep breath and said, I am so sorry that you feel that way. And I won't take that from you. I won't yeah. take it. I'm not going to try to take it. But I am so sorry. And and what it reminded me in that moment is that to have regret is another form of pain. The same way that I'm, if I miss my mom and her birthday or Mother's Day, that's a pain to have regret about my own behavior because I can't do anything about it now. It was a random week that becomes permanent. Right, right. Yeah, right, that. it's, it's exactly. a random thing that becomes permanent. That that yeah. if I were to show up for myself with compassion, I'm so sorry you didn't get, you know, one time I went to a play and stood in line because I wanted day of tickets and I was the only person, you know, as the last person in line that didn't get a ticket. It was very important to get a ticket. I remember the guy turning around and saying, I feel so bad for you that you didn't get a ticket. You know, he got one, I didn't. And I was like, thank you. I feel really bad for me myself. (laughs) It was just a ticket, right? I had stood in line, I had wanted to go to the play. I wasn't gonna go to the play, no big deal. But this is a little bit like that, which is like when you send a compassion to yourself about the fact that you have to feel this way, not that you're doing something wrong in grieving this way, you shouldn't feel that way. I do feel this way. That the compassion, I think sometimes helps it melt and soften a little bit.
1: Absolutely. I I write about this in my book about, I mean, if I had to say the biggest thing that I felt guilty about was a conversation that I had when I was sitting in the hospital with my mom and the doctor came in and my dad wasn't there. I was there by myself with my mom. And the doctor came in and basically said that the, brain tumor that she had was inoperable and they basically couldn't do anything and they could keep her alive until I had the baby. That's basically what they said, but that, that was it. Yeah. And then he left. And I remember literally hearing those words and they had just delivered a tray to my mom with lunch and The only thing I remember, she turned to me and she said, I feel a little bit sad. I am I'm very sad about this. Let me just take a moment to feel sad or something. It even hurts my heart just to even talk about this. But I remember saying to her, dad'll be here soon. He'll know what to do. Why don't you just eat your brownie? And like that conversation, that conversation has played out for the past over 20 years in my mind, because I feel guilty about the way I handled that conversation. And I have, I wish that I had said certain things and you know, blah, blah, blah. You, you get it. You you can see what, what I could have said, but you know, at the end of the day, I handled it the best way that I could at the time with where I could go at that time. I mean, I had just been delivered really devastating news for myself as well, but I've sat with that one conversation so many times and, you know, tried and felt it and have given myself the permission to, you know, I did the best that I could and forgive myself. I think That's really what I needed to do to move forward. Because that one conversation didn't define my mom, the relationship that we had. And yes, I wish that I had handled it differently, but it is what it is. And staying in that space, I remember driving home from work so many times or going on a walk so many times. And that was what was playing over and over again in my mind. It wasn't all of the beautiful memories that I had of all the amazing things that I got to do with my mom and blah, blah, blah. It was those types of conversations that just kind of got stuck and then kept playing over and over again, like a broken record in my mind for years. Mm -hmm. And I think until you're willing to be intentional about sitting and holding space for shitty types of situations and giving yourself a pass or a break, it's really hard to move forward because they're going to just keep popping back up.
0: I can feel that story again, hearing it, because I, you know, I think those of us that are grievers have similar, you know, not the same. I think everybody would say, I don't want to have to feel this way. I don't want to have to ruminate on this idea of this conversation that I had with my mom. And my listeners know that m- one of mine is that when I, when my husband called me to tell me that my mom had died, I was standing in this parking lot with like a, a, a minivan idling was on with a bunch of kids in it. And mm-hmm. In that moment, I immediately was like, oh my God, she died because I didn't take better care of her. Like the consequences here are so awful. I'm never going to recover from this. What I didn't do in that moment was say, oh my God, poor me. My mother just died. And I am standing in a random parking lot Mm -hmm. with a bunch of kids. There's no one here to help me. I have to navigate this. The kind of therapy that I do Part of what we talk about is like, what, what part of your system was trying to take care of you in that moment? And there are those of us that have a very strong sort of critical part that comes in and says, let's focus on what you did wrong here. Let's, let's focus on how you have handled the situation. Let's focus on what you could have done differently, because that part can distract you and keep you focused on that You don't have to go behind him where, where I now do, which is like, oh my God, I feel so bad for myself. The way that I learned, I mean, I already kind of knew because my body had sent me the signal is this disgusting broken down parking lot with a, you know, a, a minivan full of kids. And I was an hour away from my house. Like I look at that and I'm like, oh my God, poor me. But I needed, before I could really touch the pain of that, God, I just needed some help. Like, and I have people to help. It was just one of those moments. It's not as though I was so isolated. Like my husband was an hour away with my mom's body. My brother was an hour away at his house. I was the person that was in, you know, the parking lot. That way that our system sort of shows up sometimes with criticism or wants us to focus on something to me almost feels like those sleight of hands in a magic show where the regret says, we can do this. We can use this tool of you blaming yourself or being disappointed in yourself forever. We have it forever. We
1: can do this forever. Exactly.
0: Yeah. But in order to not do it forever, we have to be, can you just step a little bit to the side so I can see what you don't want me to see, which is I feel terrible for myself. Because imagine that moment, right? You're sitting in this hospital room. Your dad's not there to support you or your mother. And you hear the most devastating news that a daughter could hear. And that if we were going to script a play, we would send somebody in to hold your hand. Never mind your mom, but to hold your hand. And I think that's where those regrets come from is that we can't touch how painful that there's so much pain. We have to titrate it out. And eventually, and I do think sometimes we really have to work on it. We can get the vice grip to loosen mine is loose. I have a lot of compassion for myself and both. And I still will always wish that I had done and said and been different. And I just think that's part of the grief. I think that's part of the grief story. The way that you tell that is, you know, again, you have a lot of years on me in terms of navigating your loss with your mom and to know and see that that still brings up pain just talks to that power that everyone needs us to say, because we need so many more voices saying, listen, this kind of loss, profound attachment loss, it imprints your life for the rest of your life. It is not a take three days off work and go back to work normal situation. And it never, ever will be regardless of how we in Western cultures want to like pathologize it. It just never, ever will be.
1: I actually love that there were a lot of people that were around me there to support me right after my mom passed away, and then they leave, and then the house gets quiet, and -hmm. then I came back to North Carolina, and then I had a brand new baby, and I was alone, and then what do you do? Where do you go then? And that, those are the moments that I feel like these types of conversations and these platforms really help people because it's in the quiet times when the grief really starts to surface and bubble up and we don't know what to do or where to go with it. So I think talking about Mm. it and having open and honest conversations and to show, I got through this. My mom was my person. Mm. It was devastating and I'm okay. I got through this. I'm a really happy person. I miss my mom every day. And I'm still a really happy person. You know, I think that is empowering for other it, people.
0: It's empowering to other people. It's empowering to our kids. And it's just necessary. I, you know, one of the things with COVID and the significant amount of not just loss of people's lives, but just loss and loss, you know, loss of weddings and vacations and graduations and jobs, sure. and jobs sure. and homes and security and safety you know, one of the things that I think about that all the time is we have the opportunity right now to shift this conversation and mental health professionals and people like you who have taken this and said, this is the platform that I'm going to continue to talk about. There are not enough of us. We need lay servers. We need, Mm -hmm. you know, volunteer firemen. We need everybody to be interested in this conversation a because they should be because we're all headed in the same direction so the more information you have about it the better it's going to help you
1: yeah but as you know people don't want to think about it because they don't want to think about ever being in that situation or losing someone they love and until you've walked that path and gone through it it's kind of like you don't know until you know and you don't want to know so you just sort of pretend like it's not there we do that
0: particularly poorly in this country Absolutely. because That's not true all over the world.
1: And so I'm talking about, you're right, for sure. Westerners. Yeah.
0: And and so the part of it is like, wow, you know, if I were going to write a big op-ed in the New York Times and there Mm -hmm. have been some good ones, that's what I would say to people is, yes, while you're doing all of the things, also add And we're able to do this. Like, think of all the people who sold out all the anti-racist books when they understood, like, we're all going to go down. If we don't do, if we don't all do this better, we don't Mm -hmm. all educate ourselves. This is not about, you know, who who is experiencing racism. We are all experiencing racism. We've got to get on this. There's an opportunity here for people to look at grief and the way that we treat it as a culture and shift it a little bit. I have your book. I give out your book. I think it is one of the ones that offers that just, you are so plain spoken. Your writing is so easy to connect with. And it's just very true. It's very visceral. It's just a beautiful piece about loss. And I, what I understand now is that that is what most memoirs are. It's transformation stories, right? It's a hero's journey from every, you know, everybody's point of view. But what that means is they're inside that human story is some element of transformation change around loss. And what I love about that is, you know, anyone who's written a memoir, part of where we got to get to the end of the story is some element of growth. And so to say to people, listen, it's awful. It's as bad as you think it. Is. In fact, it's worse than you could possibly imagine. And everyone thinks they can't do it. And 98.2% of the populations mm. survive. It's not everybody. There are people that we lose to grief, but it is a mm. tiny percentage. And when you get to the other side, there are people like you and me saying, you know, it's not all awful here. There have been transformations and changes that are additions to my life, that there's growth. I didn't only lose my mother. I lost my mother and the trajectory of my life shifted and changed. And it was painful and hard and it's still painful and hard. But it is what it is and I'm happy. I am a real, you know, I'm happy, you're happy. And I hope people who are listening to that who are listening to us, who need to hear that, know that we're not bullshitting them, that, you know, it, and it isn't all just time. I have worked with people who 20 years ago, their mother died and they have not been able to process the energy through. Yeah. I'm so grateful to have had you on today. You are just such a generous conversation every time tell us a little bit about, you mentioned to me, tell us a little bit about what's going on for you in the world and how people can connect to you if they're interested in hearing more, which I would really encourage people. Again, you don't only just talk about cancer. You don't only just talk about your mom and your grandmother. You also talk about being a mom and being a wife and being a woman out in the world. And all those conversations are such beautiful ones to hear. So
1: tell us how to get in touch. Thank you so much for asking that. I really appreciate it. People can go to my website at crazyperfectlife.com. They can link to my book, to all the blogs that I've written, to all the things. I'm also on Instagram at CrazyPerflife and on Facebook at Crazy Perfect Life. So they can check me out. Of course, this is all over all of my platforms, all the things my book is I am my mother's daughter wisdom on life, loss and love. And that is available, of course, on Amazon. And I'm just really grateful that you had me on today. And it's been such a beautiful conversation. Your work is incredible. As you know, there's a lot of work to be done in this space. And I think both of us are committed and, and, and just happy to be here and help other people. And that's what I try to do. And that's why I feel like I try to be so open and honest and transparent because that's really what would have helped me 20 years ago. I'm working on another book right now. It's a fiction book. I've always wanted to write fiction. Yeah. And actually it's it's a fiction book about, a mother and daughter, shocking. It's it's the voice of a mother and a voice of a daughter. And it kind of goes back and forth as they navigate all the challenges that they face. But it's a lot of fun to write. And I have two daughters who are now 21 and 18. And I'm just trying to just spend as much time with them as they will give me, as they are willing to, to share with me before they go back to college in the fall. My, and then I'll be an empty nester. And then my husband and I are kind of like, you know, we've got a lot of things that we're really excited about. So we're just going to stay in the gratitude space always.
0: Well, I'm going to follow your conversation because I am very interested in how people navigate that next stage of life. My kids are littler, but I hear about it a lot and I know it can be bumpy and I know it can be beautiful. So I will... (laughs) about that, but I'm so excited to hear about your next book. That sounds like a blast. I know we're going to stay connected and. Oh,
1: of course.
0: I'm going to say this to people because you were modest about it, but your Instagram is really beautiful. It has beautiful quotes. It's beautiful to look at. It's like opening a, a beautiful magazine and being like, oh, that's so nice. So if people are trying to cultivate you know, good stuff in their Instagram feed, and are careful about that. I would definitely go follow you because I think your your stuff is really intentional and
1: Thank inspiring you. and
0: lovely. So I, I love it when it pops up in my feed.
1: I'm Thanks. laughing that you said that because um, so my daughters, you know, 21 and 18, yeah. they absolutely, you know, they play on Instagram. That's their playground, and they're you know, they always have an opinion about about my Instagram. And my biggest platform is obviously on on Facebook. But anyway, they're like. Facebook, you know, that's where your age group is. So it's yeah. just funny, but I love my Instagram and it is all very intentional as are most of the things that I, that I put out. So thank yeah. you for saying that.
0: Thank you again. Thank you so much for your time. Enjoy, enjoy. And I know we'll be back
1: in touch and our paths will cross. Yes, absolutely. So Take much care. love. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.
0: Go to the show notes. If you want to learn more about following dark hurts or her book or her writing, what she's up to now, find her Instagram. Don't forget to give us a rating on whatever your podcast listening platform is, but especially on Apple Podcasts. For those of you who've asked, the guitar music is my brother Brendan Mearton, who is a generous human being and an amazing guitar player. And if you want to hear more from me, go to griefismysidehustle.com. That'll link you to my Instagram platform, Facebook, and all of my recent podcasts and projects. Thank you so much. Looking forward to meeting you back here for another episode of the podcast. Take care.